Good morning. morning. (coughs) It's so nice to be here with you, although I must say it was very tempting to stay in Florida. (laughs) Wasn't it? Yes. I ran into you at the airport. She was already sitting on the plane that I was barely able to catch because of the usual issues with connections. But it was indeed a delight. Not that we had weather any better than yours, but we had the ocean. And walking miles every day in the surf, I highly recommend it. Some of you attended the 49-day service here for uh, very dear old friend, Houston Smith, who passed away at the age of 97 and was responsible for my coming to Syracuse. As you know, many of you. In 1976, having left Dabusat we found out that Houston Smith was taking a one-year sabbatical, and my first husband, Lou Nordstrom, was asked to teach his courses. That's what brought us here. And I said, Syracuse? (laughs) There's no ocean. Okay, one year. (laughs) So now, from 76 to 2017, (laughs) <laughs> so one, one year plus 40. Anyway, the group of us who were planning Houston's memorial service included Jim Wiggins, And I met Jim right after we got here, Jim and David Miller, and other wonderful members of the religion department, which is where Houston was teaching, became good friends. The day after Houston's service, Jim died. And yesterday, uh, two weeks later, uh, there was a wonderful service held for him, James Wiggins. David Miller presided. And one of the things he said in his remarks 
was a quote from Heraclitus, the Greek philosopher. In which he said, hidden harmony is much more important than obvious harmony. The harmony that we can see. Hidden harmony. And David said, that really was the essence of the grace with which Jim Wiggins lived and taught and led. He was very important to this community beyond Syracuse University. I worked with him for, I don't know, since probably the 1990s on the, maybe earlier, Interfaith Works, it's called now, it used to be called Syracuse Area Interreligious Consortium. But this Heraclitus statement, hidden harmony, is really completely in line with the Buddha's teachings on how to uphold Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha. And particularly regarding Sangha, as some of you may know, as the monastic system became institutionalized in Japan, one of the entrenched attitudes was one of abuse, persecution, and exploitation of those who came even five minutes before you. So the new trainees were and continue to be uh, quite oppressed. In Japan, there's an expression, and this is not just limited to monasteries. It's a cultural expression. The nail that stands up is beaten down. So what this means is, if you call attention to yourself in any way, particularly in a way that seems um, lacking in discernment, you will be beaten, literally. At Dabusatsu Zendo, for the past six years, one of the tasks that I've given myself and the community is to take, to really take that apart, to deconstruct that um, 
cultural attitude of mistreating those who may be in some way not upholding some rule or not aware of something they should be doing. As we know, in any community, it doesn't have to be a monastic community, humans don't always conduct themselves properly because they are humans. And if we don't have sufficient inner grace or hidden harmony, then the harmony of the Sangha is assaulted. Not just the person who's being rebuked in a way that is demeaning, but the whole Sangha. Here at Hoenji, we haven't had that as our um, example. In fact, quite the opposite. People who come here are always struck by the warm, kind, and loving atmosphere that has been created over the years. So whether you are living here as a resident or coming for the first time to sit or returning for 20 or 30 years as a practitioner, you know this is how we treat one another. Am I right? Huh? So important. This is a discipline. It is not some kind of, uh, you know, sentimentality. It takes a lot of discipline to look at yourself and see what arises before you spit it out. If we see our own emotions as something that's that, it, as ungovernable, then what happens is, this is a metaphor I love, a simile actually, the shit hits the fan. And it goes all over. You know, your own bullshit comes up. You don't know how to deal with it. And before you know it, it's out there. And everyone's covered with it. Particularly the person you may feel deserves it. But does anyone deserve your shit? Huh? Especially not you. You know, we're always hardest on ourselves, and that's why we can't govern our emotions. So I was reading uh, recently the Buddha's teachings on social and communal harmony. This is um, an anthology of discourses from the Pali Kanon, edited and introduced by Bhikkhu Bodhi. And here's what the Buddha said. 
While you are training in Concord, what does in Concord mean? I live on Concord Place. Concord, right? In concordance with the way. In concordance with the real truth. Peace. Concord is peace. When you, while you are training in concord with mutual appreciation, this is what sangha means. Mutual appreciation, not, you didn't do that. You're no good. No, mutual appreciation. Without disputing. There's always something we can find to dispute about. Always. But we have to reflect back. While you are training in concord with mutual appreciation without disputing, there might arise mutual verbal friction, insolence in views, mental annoyance, bitterness, and dejection. Has anyone experienced this? It's amazing how this is part of our daily life. And we are doing this practice because we acknowledge it. Right? We're not trying to cover it over. We're looking within. And the Buddha goes on and says, well, if you could find the most reasonable and helpful monk in the assembly and spoke to that person and asked if the master knew, meaning the Buddha, would he censure that? Censuring, in other words, the mutual verbal friction, insolence and views, mental annoyance, bitterness and dejection. Would he? And answering rightly, the monk would answer thus, if the master knew, he would censure that. Most of the Buddhist discourses take this kind of you know, question and response. And then continuing, but friend, without abandoning that thing, what is that thing? The issue? Huh? The issue? Here, that thing being censured refers back to verbal friction, insolence and views, mental annoyance. It becomes one thing. And this is true of our experience, right? We become taken over by these vari various ways of uh, dealing with another until it becomes a kind of thing that we feel we can't even get out from under. So without abandoning that thing, the question is, can one realize Nibbana? Nibbana is Pali for what? Yeah. Can one attain realization when one is locked in to that kind of Mutual verbal friction, insolence and views. Insolence and views is such an amazing phrase. You know, we all are so insolent. 
when we grab hold of our own views, what are those views made of? What do they come from? Beliefs. Hmm? Beliefs. Beliefs. Mm-hmm. What else? The self, the ego. Believing in a self, particularly, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like, I am the person who knows what's best. I see what you're doing wrong. Well, it may be, you know, with great discernment. We have to have discernment. We can see, okay, this needs to be corrected. That needs to be shifted. Okay, it's not exactly lined up. You're always noticing how I do that. It's because it really creates the atmosphere in the room of harmony. This is hidden harmony. And so, of course, with discernment. But instead of taking those views, that self-motivated kind of self-absorbed view, and throwing it out there, you look inside. And you notice what's out of line inside. What is lacking in hidden harmony? It's always within us. And you may say, no, it's not. It's Trump. And you would be right from a certain point of view, right? These are the views that we struggle with, okay, beyond the Sangha. And we are locked into these really horrific disagreements as a nation right now. And of course, that affects the whole world. So without abandoning that thing, one cannot realize awakening. One cannot awaken to the oneness, the, the, the viewlessness, the selflessness of true reality. And so one suffers. In another section, the Buddha is talking about six roots of disputes. When someone is angry and hostile, one adheres to his own views, holds to them tenaciously, and relinquishes them with difficulty. Okay, we're all familiar with that. And then, such a monk dwells without respect and deference toward the teacher the Dhamma and the Sangha, and does not fulfill the training. This is very important to recognize. When we are angry and hostile, when we are holding to our own views tenaciously and unable to relinquish them, One is going against the fundamental teachings of our path. This is very serious. There are so many Christians, for example, who go against the teachings of Jesus. When we meet 
a person who is truly kind, truly loving, truly caring, truly generous. It doesn't matter what the name of that person's religion is. Something changes for everyone who encounters that person. That is the ideal. That is what the Buddha taught. So when a person adheres to his own views, he creates a dispute in the Sangha that leads to the harm of many people, to the unhappiness of many people, to the ruin, harm, and suffering of devas and humans. If you perceive any such root of dispute, either in yourselves or in others, you should strive to abandon this evil root of dispute. And you should practice so that this evil root of dispute does not emerge in the future. Well, this is basically why we practice. Because these roots are very deep. We are all conditioned We all have these very, seems sometimes to be fathomless grooves based on whatever issues we haven't been able to fully free ourselves from. What are some of the issues you may notice are still holding you to these views, are still creating these ways of dispute and disharmony for others as well as yourself. Anybody? When I'm doing a litter patrol, I get outraged and righteous about people throwing liquor bottles and uh, McDonald's stuff instead of just just cleaning it up. Yeah, that's a very good example. There's a wonderful expression called inconspicuous bodhisattva. And most of us just can't really get there. You know, look at me, I'm picking up litter. Did you notice? Did you notice I vacuumed? It's like the Pharisees in the Bible. Hmm? The Pharisees in the Bible, that's the same way Jesus talks about them. Right. Right. So they pray just to be looked at. Yeah, look at me. I'm such a good Zen student. I can sit full lotus and not move. But, you know, the person who's sitting on a chair with horrible posture and just kind of really you feel like, oh my God, that poor person, that back, that neck, may be sitting much more intensely than the person who looks so good. Right? We have to keep these things in mind. True discernment is hidden harmony to see what's really, really truth. What's another way that you've noticed that you get caught in this view? 
I haven't been too experienced with tradition so much. This is by like the most traditional way of practice spirituality in my life. And so I have a, a belief of all tradition just always empty. There mm. is there is no like core mm -hmm. of um because one of the thoughts I was going through my head, because this is my second time here, um, last was on Thursday, the thoughts I was going through my head was like, oh, are these people actually trying to like raise their consciousness or are they just doing it just to do it? Like, you know, people go to church every Sunday. And uh, so there's a lot of judgment coming out from that and uh, caused me more suffering than anybody else. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> these people aren't really serious. They're just, you know, bowing, but they don't really mean anything. You know? mm. That was that kind of thing. That's also my inexperience with the tradition, too. Not, but yeah, so that's the one I'm trying to work through right now. I'm still working through it, of that. Just because of tradition does not mean it's meaningless, you know. Does not mean it's empty and void of its actual core. Because what you just read is like, you know, very, very core, you know. It's not just empty. You've raised so many interesting points with the wording you've chosen, but we won't get into it now. But everything is empty. Right, yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> right. Particularly self. So a self that's noticing and perhaps holding on to certain opinions is empty. But good example. Anyone else? Some ways in which you've noticed you create disharmony because you have believed in your own opinions and have seen something that you can identify as wrong. I'm giving advice to somebody. Hmm? I'm giving advice to somebody. Usually what I have a stake in is my own uh, knowledge or security. Mm -hmm. That's a really good one. And that, um, as, as I've said at various points, we may think we have something to give. And that attitude gets us in trouble because it can become like a kind of meddling. Instead of really being or able to walk in that person's moccasins, as the Native Americans say, instead of being able to really listen to that person, instead of being able to really feel that person's pain, which may be leading to things that you think you can advise about, it's coming as a kind of external, superimposed idea of yours, how you should live, right? Well, if you would just do this, you'd feel a lot better. And so it, it isn't heard as the loving kindness that you may actually feel is why you are giving advice. There may be a little gap there, just a little tiny gap of self and other. Right? But when we really try our best to drop our own separate ideas about what should be, then actually we may find we're, act we're able to offer something which is truly heard and responded to. Very different. 
because it comes from the oneness, the intimacy with that person. And actually what I have found is in, in giving advice, and in a way you might say, well, this whole talk is about giving you advice. Oh, well. <laughs> what I've discovered is that everyone has to find out for herself. And advice can only be like the Zen expression, pointing at the moon, the full moon of enlightenment, you know, and the finger. Well, it's not about the finger, is it? But when you see someone holding a finger like this, you tend to see the finger rather than experience the full moon. And so we get into that kind of trap, giving advice. Well, I think you should just you know, drop out of school and, and go and find out all these wonderful things. Expand your consciousness. Many of us were told that years ago. And advice can be easily uh, something that adds to someone's confusion. So we, we need to find out for ourselves. Again, discernment is necessary. When you see someone who is harming himself by doing certain behaviors, you may feel, I have to find a way to reach this person, right? Do you find that that's what kind of brings up the, the desire to give someone advice? so that the person ceases certain behaviors that are harmful. That's true for many people. But we've learned so much through the recovery movement. You know, the AA or NA or whatever. Someone really has to realize for himself that there is nowhere further to go. You can't say you're going to hit bottom. Someone has to hit bottom. So in a way, there's not much we can do except be present, be there for a person. Any other advice we can give beyond that? It can't be received, right? It can't be received. Just to be, be present. And we read earlier in Bodhisattva's vow who can be ungrateful or not respectful even to insentient things not to speak of human beings 
our lack of gratitude, our lack of respect is so all-pervasive. Look at this planet. Look what we've done, what we continue to do. To insentient things. What is insentient? Is there anything that is insentient? Like it's dead, right? Insentient. Hmm? Insentient means dead. Insentient means without feeling. In other words, it's may it's a word used to describe rocks or mountains or sticks or what we might call objects. You know. So it's commonly perceived that my tapping this table is not felt by the table. But actually it is. Because what is the table made up of? Huh? Something that was once alive. Was still, it's still alive. Wood. Wood, but... Everything is a dance of molecules. Particles, always changing, always shifting, always feeling, right? So it, it's our ignorance that gives us the feeling that insentient things don't have to be cared for. Hello. Hey. I actually meant to come to the yoga at one, but I had a long time, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What time is yoga? One. Yes. And you're yeah, here and you're fun. here for early, so yes. Welcome. Welcome. So not to speak of human beings, okay? Making this temporary distinction between insentient and sentient beings. Even though they may be fools. How many of you know fools? <laughs> Even though they may be fools, be warm and compassionate toward them. That in itself, you know, you spoke about giving advice. Just this feeling of warmth and compassion is so much more wondrous than giving advice, isn't it? For someone who is in pain and doing stupid things, you know, foolish things, right? Acting like a fool. To feel that someone has warmth and compassion in his or her life is very significant. And it's very hard for us when we see someone acting in foolish ways or self-destructive ways not to add something because we get caught up in the narrative that they're involved in. And we see the story that they're adhering to. And we say, well, if you would just get out of that story, you'd be able to be present. Yeah, right? Have we tried that ourselves? That's what our practice is, right? Drop the story. What's the story? Well, if he hadn't me, 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 well, she should have done blah, 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 blah. We've all got it going on. But do we hear 
what's going on? Do we hear our own thought process? So, because we cannot be warm and compassionate toward them very often, they turn against us. This is the Bodhisattva's vow, you chant it, okay? And if by chance they should turn against us and abuse and persecute us, I mentioned the system, the monastic system in which there is very frequently uh, an abusive atmosphere. And what can we do about it? We can't really accomplish very much by railing against it. In the Bodhisattva's vow, it says we should bow down, bow down with humble words in the reverent belief that they are the merciful avatars of Buddha. Imagine if you saw everybody who you have an opinion about as someone who is persecuting you as an avatar of Buddha, as Buddha's way of breaking through that very, very tightly woven uh, shield that you've made around yourself. Tightly woven, maybe not woven, may not be the best way to describe it. How about uh, impermeable? How about the titanium that you've constructed? as you're being in the world, right? No one's going to break through this. Well, maybe, maybe someone who does break through, does make you feel so threatened that you may see that person through your deep meditation as an avatar of Buddha, as... Uh, someone the Buddha is sending who uses devices to emancipate us from harmful karma. Where'd that harmful karma come from? It's been produced and accumulated upon ourselves through our own egoistic delusion and attachment. That's it. We have many, many opportunities to examine this. And when we do, in each moment's flash of our thought, instead of each moment's flash of our thought bringing even more af uh, affirmation of our own views, those views just drop. And then what? Each moment's flash of our thought, there will grow a lotus flower. And each lotus flower will reveal a Buddha. You are sitting on a lotus flower. Imagine if your thoughts lined up. If those flashes of thought really were clear, really completely open, without any views whatsoever, not only would you 
be able to hear another, see another as yourself without acting in any way that would create dispute or disharmony. But you would be able to feel your own true Buddha nature. Here you are, sitting on your lotus throne. That's what we're doing here. We are, each one of us, being revealed as a Buddha. So I'm so happy to see and feel all of you Buddhas and see how you are able to drop this disharmony, drop this negativity, drop this abusive way of interacting and just be the Buddhas you are.